Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. March Madness Ministry, however you want to say it. John chapter number 16. And beginning with verse 16, we will start. The Bible says, and I'll read to verse 22. You see me start going further. Just say, <clears throat> sorry. Sometimes I do that. A little while, ye shall not see me, Jesus says. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while. We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while? (laughs) Real redundant. And ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. You just got to just deal with disciples like this sometimes. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. Ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. We're going to try to get through the rest of this chapter tonight. I've simply labeled this mediation to meditation. Mediation to meditation. And here's what happens. I, I preface this because you bring up the word meditation today and everybody goes to the Middle East and om, om, cross legs, crisscross, applesauce, all that garbage. But the word meditation is used several times in the scripture and it actually means outward sounds or speech of contemplation which could very easily relate to our prayer. Outward sounds and speech of contemplation. So I could have said mediation to prayer but I want to just stay in the M family. So I just did mediation to meditation. All right? Amen. Let's pray this evening. Father, I love you. God, we need your help, Lord Jesus, in this service tonight. Open hearts, minds, and souls. God, as we look again, Lord, to your word. Your word is alive. It's a living word. It's quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We need you, Jesus, this evening, God, that you're able to touch us anew and afresh. God, by your spirit, we will not fail to thank you. God, for your purpose being done here tonight. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. If you look at verse number 17, whenever the disciples speak about questioning the Lord about what he meant by a little while, and you turn backward from there, you will note, that Christ has been talking for about 52 verses. It's just been red letters. 
flashing up. He's been talking about for 52 letters. It all started back in chapter number 14 when Judas, who was not Iscariot, asked a question about how Jesus would manifest himself to the disciples and not to the world. And from that point on, Jesus, I like this, he started answering the question. And he continues to answer the question and goes into quite a lengthy monologue, amen, with this question until he finishes up, or at least I might say pauses in John 16 and verse 16, then in verse 17 where the disciples finally speak. But in John 16 and verse 16 of our text, he mentions that in a little while the disciples will not see him and then in a little while... Uh, they will see him again because he goes to the Father. And as it is with several things that Jesus had said in the past or prior to this moment to the disciples, uh, they don't quite understand what he means. This isn't the first time Jesus said something that they didn't get it or they didn't understand or they were scratching their heads or had other questions about what he meant. And they begin then to question each other, right? Uh, don't ask the person that knows, just ask somebody else. Nonetheless, they begin to talk among themselves about what did Jesus mean when he's talking about this little while bit. And so they talked to one another and they did not come forth and ask Jesus about it. And there's, let's get this real clear right from the start. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. All right, they tell you in your school there's no dumb, there's no dumb questions, you know, so on and so forth. But there's nothing wrong with asking questions. As a matter of fact, Jesus was their teacher. He was their rabbi. And according to the Jewish culture, it was common for the followers of a rabbi or the students of a teacher to ask questions. That's how they learned. That's, that was a part of the teaching process. Amen. And method for learning with their rabbi was to bounce back and forth questions with him and he all times would question them again to cause them to think and to engage as a matter of fact much learning among the Jewish culture still today is predicated upon entertaining questions between their sage so to speak their rabbi and whoever is under his care as students and so that back and forth questioning garners learning within their lives but without asking Jesus without saying a word Jesus knew Right? He knew what they desired to ask him but didn't ask him. And, uh, of course, that points to the divinity or the godness of Jesus Christ because no man had to tell him. He knew before they even said it, amen, what their hearts and minds were, were thinking or asking. And this is, this is the likeness of God. This is something that we see throughout the Old Testament lingering and spilling on into the New Testament. Uh, the psalmist said, and I'm just going to share a few little smidgets of verses. The psalmist said in the Psalms 94 that the Lord knoweth the thoughts of man. He said in uh, Psalms 139, O Lord, thou understandest my thought. Jeremiah the prophet says, I the Lord search the heart. David even requested of God, asking God, he said, God, know my heart. 
and know my thoughts in Psalms 139. So clearly, knowing the thoughts and the hearts of mankind was God's prerogative. That was his business. And however, in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is privy also to the thoughts. So again, that's an undeniable mark, amen, of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. More than just the carpenter's son, more than just a normal man, this was God manifest in the flesh. He knew what people were thinking without even uttering what they were thinking. And so there's been several of them that have weighed in on uh, this concept about what Jesus meant about a little while, and I'll state this several times since they did it like three or four times in Scripture, you know, just to be real biblical about it. But nonetheless, about a little while not seeing him and a little while seeing him, what that really relates to. Does, does it relate to the Lord's death? Does it relate to uh, his burial? Does it relate to things following Calvary? Are they talking about his ascension or when they see him again? Are they talking about Pentecost? Does this, does this encompass the idea of when he comes back for rapturing the church or his second coming when he'll set up his kingdom on the earth? So all these things that could be whirling through the mind or possibilities of them, I'm going to give you my firm opinion concerning the word of the Lord that the not seeing the Lord and then seeing the Lord, in my opinion, from what I study and see, refers to his burial. Through, on the third day he'll rise again. They're going to be without him for a segment of time, but then he's going to resurrect and ascend into the heavens and they will see him again. The time of being in the tomb again of not seeing him. They know where he is. They know where he's placed. But they no longer have that visible sight of the Lord among them for those amount of days. And he was only, speaking of a little while, and you're not going to see me, from where we are in Scripture. And this could be played with a little bit. I don't know if anybody has a for sure knowing how many hours there are. But anywhere from 24 to 48 hours from Calvary. We're just 24 to 48 hours from everything to start unfold for Calvary from this point of time. And so just in a little while, and really in the grand scheme of things, they're not going to see him anymore. They've seen him on the tree. They'll be able to see all of that. But once he's put in that tomb, they will not see him again. And then they will, though, maybe even taken a little bit by surprise. They know that he's told him on the third day, I'm getting up. But there were... Mostly all of them did not really believe what they told, he told them. Or they wouldn't have been as surprised as they were whenever word got to them that he's alive. And some of them still not believe until what? They saw him for themselves. And so to the apostles, and I think we touched upon this maybe on Sunday morning. I can't remember. They all blend together after a while. But we spoke about in Acts 1 how the apostles, the Bible says that Christ, after his resurrection, he shewed himself alive after his passion for, with many infallible proofs for 40 days. 40 days after he resurrected until the time that he ascended, he shewn himself, he showed himself alive unto his disciples. They all, for that matter, his disciples stood on the top of Mount Olivet whenever he, after the end of those 40 days, was going to go from earth to heaven, and he ascended into the clouds. And the Bible speaks of how they watched him ascend into the clouds. They saw him, if you will, going because he was going, so to speak, to his 
Father, they looked toward heaven, the Bible tells us in Acts 1. They gazed, the angel says, why stand ye here gazing? They were gazing up into the heavens. And the angels even verified that Jesus was taken from them into the heavens. And while Jesus is speaking all these things, he's speaking them not having happened yet, right? He's talking about what will happen. But as he's speaking all these things, he relates to the emotions and the things that they will be feeling to in verse number 20. He told them that they will be sorrowful over what's going to take place and that the world was going to rejoice over what took place. They, the, the, the disciples would be sorrowful over not seeing him, but the world was going to rejoice because, aha, we cried crucified out there while Pilate had him on trial. Boom, they followed through. He's a dead man. Yay, raw. All the haters are going to keep hating. Amen. And rejoice. If it wasn't enough for them to want him dead, they're throwing a party when he is dead. All right? But the world is going to rejoice. These are things that were prophesied about in the Old Testament Scripture. Zechariah prophesied that they would mourn over Jesus like an only son. That they would weep bitterly as though he was the firstborn of a family. Mark's gospel records, even when Mary went to the tomb early that morn, and she begins to have a conversation with someone that she thinks is a gardener, but comes to find out very quickly when that quote-unquote gardener says her name twice, Mary, Mary, that there's something that connects. Hold on, this is the voice, not of a gardener, this is the voice of the resurrected Savior, Right? that the Bible says she went and told others that had knew him aforetime, and when she went to tell them, guess what? They were mourning and weeping because why? They had not seen the Lord. He was in the tomb. So this is a very much so true to the words of Jesus about what comes to pass. But though the disciples will be sorrowful, he lets them know that your sorrow is going to turn into joy. Amen? He says, just a little while, I'll be dead. Those three days, sorrow. You're going to be lamenting. You're going to be just crestfallen. You're not going to see me. But when I resurrect, I'm going to make myself known unto you. And your sorrow is going to be turned into joy. Sorrow in his death, verse 21, 23, but joy from his resurrection. And he makes a comparison, something that they can identify with. He compared it to a woman that is going through the pains of travail and childbirth, who may be in agony going through those pains, but whenever that baby is born, she's filled with joy, a sense of release, because now this child is born into the world, so much so that the joy that she has from the child eclipses, if you will, the sorrow that she had in her labor her sorrow is swallowed up by the joy of what's been delivered and what is born important to note tonight that the mother's sorrow is transformed into joy what i mean is this there's not a substitution so to speak it's the same child the same child that brought the sorrow is the same thing from which she gets her joy it's not a substitution. It's not like you had that from that, but I'll give you this from this. No, no, the same thing. The same thing. Jesus said, me being gone, bring you sorrow. But the same me that shows up and lives again is going to bring you joy. There's a transformation. And that's just, listen, hallelujah, that's just like our God. 
Old Testament scripture, what happens? He turns curses into blessings. Huh? Balaam speak the curse upon God's people. He says, I only speak what God says. Bless, 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 bless. Three different times up on the mountain. Bless her. What? God can take the curse and turn it into a blessing. For Joseph, what was it? What they meant for bad, God says, I'll use that same thing and I'll mean it for your good. He can transform sorrow into joy. And please note, the Bible says that whenever the woman, whenever she remembereth no more uh, the sorrow, let me say it like this. Whenever you remember no more, that doesn't necessarily mean you forgot something. That means that you choose not to recall something. You hear me? It's not so much that the sorrow is forgotten, but you've cho chosen not to recall it to memory. The pain and the after effects, listen, I guarantee you, any woman, the pain and the after effects of labor are still there. But they're just not as important. As the joy that they are feeling that accompanies what's taking place. They might be sore for days. But there is something that has happened right here. Amen. That takes place or takes preeminence in what is going on. For that matter, for that matter, the Bible tells us concerning Jesus Christ. After he resurrected from the dead, they could still handle him. They could still feel his nail prints as all of them did and where the spear, that wound was in his side. But all of this, so, so that those things are still there. It's not like all that just disappears from the page. He was wounded. He was not with us. They can feel all those places that give testament to that. But all of that is swallowed up in the fact that he's here. All of that's swallowed up in the fact that he's breathing right in front of us for us to handle. Sorrow is turned to joy. Now, verse number 23, let me read a few more verses. And this is where uh, 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 the, the thick or the, the majority of our, our lesson is at tonight. John 16 and verse 23, continuing on, the Bible says, And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye ask, ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall shew you plainly of the Father. At that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you because ye have loved me and have believed that I am came out from God. I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Whew. A lot of hmm, here and there and come and go and go and see and blah, blah, right? And I, it's all important, please. But I'm just saying the way some things are worded sometimes. It's just like, all righty. What Jesus is portraying here is that this whole episode of not seeing sin, this whole episode of his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension is going to open up a way of prayer in Jesus' name that they've not had up to this point of time. The disciples 
After all of this is said and done, the disciples will be able to approach God themselves based upon Jesus' finished work of Calvary and his ascension into heaven. Again, we're going to look at this just a little bit tonight because Jesus' purpose in his earthly ministry was really this. He served as a mediator between us and God. That was his purpose. That's even what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 and 5. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Christ in the earth was a mediator between us and God. Partly whenever you see him as both divine and both human, you see that mediation just in his two natures. He can relate to man on the, on the human side of his nature, but he relates to God on the divine side of his nature. And he's like in between, drawn each together, given men understanding about God, and then taking the needs of men and their requests unto God. And so he's mediating, just like an Old Testament high priest. And Jesus is our New Testament high priest. Old Testament high priests, amen, are just like New Testament Jesus Christ high priests. They mediate. All right, the Old Testament, they were mediating an old covenant, an old way, the old law. But Jesus in the New Testament is mediating a new and better covenant. The high priest of old, again, they mediated between God and man. The priest would go to God, all right, go into the tabernacle, say, God, here, here's the people's sacrifices, here are their sins. He'd talk to them about it. Then he'd lead that place, go out to the people and say, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Lord said. They didn't necessarily talk directly back and forth. This priest mediated in between them. He was a go-in-between for them. Well, that is the role of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. He was our high priest. He was mediating for mankind, amen, upon the earth. But, listen to me, the climax of Jesus' mediation happened at Calvary and what followed with his ascension. The Bible says in Hebrews 9 and verse 15, and if you want to know how a lot of things connect from Old Testament to New Testament, read the book of Hebrews, all right? Hebrews 9 and verse number 15, the Bible says... For this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death. In other words, his mediation is summed up in that he died. For the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, the Old Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So he was the mediator. The mediator. He was the high priest of the New Covenant, New Testament. Ultimately, it climaxed, came to the apex, amen, in his death. Listen, why? Whenever Jesus resurrected, and we go back to Mary, thinking he's the gardener, and she understands that he's not. The Bible says that Mary acted or put forth somehow as though she was going to touch him. This is in your Bible. She attempted to touch him or to cling to him. But Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, just freshly resurrected Jesus, advises her, do not touch me. Look at it. John 20 and verse 17. Jesus said unto her, touch me not, for I am not yet Ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my father and your father, to my God and your God. What is this? All of this is, is high priest language. 
It's high priest language. Because in the Old Testament, amen, the high priest on the Day of Atonement, when he went in with the blood to make an atonement for the sins of the nation, the sins of the people, nobody could touch him on that day lest they disqualify him for entering to that holy place and providing the blood for the atonement of the people to last for another year. Jesus Christ, amen, is serving in the role of high priest. You've got to understand Jesus. Jesus was the priest. Jesus was the sacrifice. Amen. He, he's serving in all these rows. He's the priest that goes into there for us and then he climbs on the altar as the sacrifice. He gets back off the altar as the priest presenting the blood. So after he's resurrected as the high priest, he's still going to ascend into the heavens to the heavenly tabernacle. Hebrews speaks of it. To the heavenly tabernacle to present the blood in the heavens. Look at it now. This is a little lengthy reading here of, of Hebrews 9. But this is good. Hebrews 9 and verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And this, this is a verse you know, or at least this part. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. All things are law, it's purged by blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. We had to have a sacrifice. Verse 23. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these. The things in heavens needed to be purified with blood. The pattern of the thing. There is, I don't know if you ever realize this, but there is an earthly tabernacle that we see, the tabernacle of Moses or even in the temple of Solomon. There's an earthly and then there is a heavenly. Even in the book of Revelation, whenever you read that heaven was silent for 30 minutes and there was that one that was going to offer the incense of the prayers and he heard the souls of the people underneath the altar. He's not talking about the altar back on earth. He's talking about the altar that's in the heavenly. Amen. As a matter of fact, what we have in the Old Testament tabernacle is just a little bit of heaven on earth. Amen. And so he says it was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves, look, but the heavenly things with better sacrifices than these. In other words, the Old Testament tabernacle, blood of bulls, blood of goats, blood of lambs, all of that is fine for them. But we're not talking about an earthly. We're talking about a heavenly tab tabernacle. It's going to take better sacrifices than just a lamb, a goat, and a bullock of taking care of the heavenly tabernacle. He said better sacrifices than these. Verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. Not the earthly. All right. Which are the figures of the true. The earthly was just a shadow of the real. Earthly was just a shadow of the real which are just the figures of the true, but into heaven. He didn't, he didn't enter the holy place of man here with the, the structures that was made of man. No, but he went into the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. For whom? For us. Look at verse 25. Nor, nor yet that he should offer himself often. Why? Because the day of atonement come every year. They had to do sacrifice for that every year. He says not that he's going to offer himself often as the high priest, entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. That's the Old Testament high priest. Every year, day of atonement time, nobody touch me. <laughs> Can't touch this. <laughs> God is blood and sacrifice going in there, making atonement, so on and so forth. That's fine for the earthly high priest. 
But verse 26, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. He said, but now once, everybody say once. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared, speaking of Christ Jesus, our high priest, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so here is Christ through his death ultimately mediating Going in, making sacrifice for you and I, supplying the blood that was necessary. Amen? And so he tells Mary, don't touch me because I'm not yet went into the heavens, amen, to present, if you will, the blood, amen, up there in the heavenlies. And so please don't touch me yet. Amen? Jesus, in doing so, in going to the heavens, was atoning us by his sacrifice, by him being sacrificed. He was atoning us with his own blood. He was ascending into the heavenly tabernacle to accomplish in the heavens, amen, what had been shadowed on the earth in the Old Testament through the, the, the tabernacle for generations and generations with bulls and goats and lambs. But that blood would not be suffice because they had to do it every year. But once and for all, Jesus entered once and for all, and his blood was significant and enough to take care of it. Someone say Amen. Since that is the case, from then onward, the disciples will no longer need Jesus to mediate for them to God. This is why Jesus says, now the game changes. When all this happens, guys, the, the game changes. You'll make your requests to God in my name. You'll make your request to God in Jesus' name. And by virtue of the spirit that I send to you on Pentecost and you receive, you will have open 24-7 access to God. And God will have direct access to you. It changes everything. You don't have to be with him by the river. You don't have to be with the earthly man Christ Jesus on the mountain. No, 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 no. You're going to have full access. And he tells us, what is he to say over and over in John 14? Also here, that spirit of truth is going to teach you all things. How? Because he, he, there's no mediation anymore. There's no mediation anymore. Jesus, in the scripture here, he will continue with his disciples, but not in flesh, in spirit. By spirit. He's, Jesus said, I came from the Father, and I'm going to return to the Father. And so the disciples, no more, will have to ask Jesus in the flesh anything because he will no longer, for number one, he'll no longer be in the flesh once he ascends into heaven. Goodbye. Amen. Jesus in the flesh. But they will ask the Father in Jesus' name. Now watch this. They'll ask the Father in Jesus' name. The Bible says in Romans 8, 26, so we have not the man Christ Jesus in flesh as any type of mediator or such. But the Bible says, likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the spirit that you've received. And if you have it, you need to receive. Itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. When the spirit comes and you receive and they receive the spirit of the Lord. The Spirit will intercede for them. And it seems then according to Jesus when they pray in Jesus' name that it won't be 
I'm going to pray, uh, Lord, this, that, and the other in Jesus' name. It won't be that Jesus is going to petition the Father for them, but they'll already have the ear of the Father by praying in Jesus' name. Now listen, listen. Whenever Jesus' presence was among them, because he speaks to us in verse number 27, Jesus says, for the Father himself loveth you. So you're not going to mean me to intervene or mediate. The Father himself loves you. How do we know this, Lord? Well, Jesus' presence even being the earth was a testament that God loved them. What's the great verse that all the world knows? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only. Jesus' presence in the earth alone should be an idea. Well, you know what? God thinks something about me. God loves me. And he loved us that he gave his only begotten son. And Jesus' death on the cross was nothing more but another display. I mean, if you needed more proof, Hey, I love you guys, right, from God. And so now he says, because of all this, you disciples, you can address God through and by Jesus' name. Because Jesus coming to the earth gave you a detailed meaning and experience and explanation of who God was that you never had before. But now all you got to do is, is in Jesus' name. Now listen, up to this point in time, Jesus even told him it's true. Up to this point in time, right here in the scripture of John 16, the disciples hadn't asked anything in Jesus' name, but they asked him directly because he was there in flesh and blood. He says, but in that day, they will not ask me, Christ Jesus, anything directly. They will pray in Jesus' name name now listen the disciples are left in the world right all of us are <laughs> but we are left in this world you know the, the song says well you're his hands and feet true you're his ambassadors in essence we the church is Christ's representatives in the world mm -hmm. and as his representatives we pray in his name we employ and invoke the name of Jesus Christ. Let me say it like this. It's, if you've ever been anywhere that uh, you've never been before to go see a certain person, maybe it's a business, and somebody else has been there, and they're like, just mention my name when you go. Have you ever? It's like that. <clears throat> you know, uh, Jesus sent me. Jesus, you know, told me to say Jesus, you know. Do you get what I'm saying here today? You all look at me like deers in headlights here. You know? No one ever had to go anywhere and mention somebody's name? Okay. But everybody just knows you. That's the way it is. That's great. <laughs> Amen. So you just mentioned the name of someone that they're familiar with. Yes, according to Scripture, there is power and authority in the name of Jesus. But listen to me, listen to the pastor tonight because it might blow someone's head here if you just don't listen. But just praying and simply attacking on and throwing on the end of your prayers, Jesus, in Jesus' name, you just don't do that just for good measure. It's not like a rabbit's foot and you're like, blah, 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 Jesus' name, hallelujah. You're listening to me? Listen, to pray, here we go. We're going to bring our prayers to power here. To pray in Jesus' name means this. 
to pray for things for Jesus' sake or in line with Jesus' purposes. That's really what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It's not about just attaching his name on the end of the prayer. It's to pray in his stead for his sake in line with his purpose. We pray as a representative of Jesus in the earth because we are. What has to happen then in prayer is this. Your purposes have to fall in line with Jesus' purposes to really be praying in his name. Well, there's a whole lot of stuff we're praying that we're attaching his name to that doesn't identify with his purpose and what he desires. Some people think it's just, it's just a, it's like the trump card. Just throw Jesus' name on it. Sorry, Charlie. Not so. Look what the Bible says. This is a good old verse. I use this verse a lot with people. Psalms 37 and verse 4. Look what the scripture says in the Psalms. Delight. Everybody say that word with me. Delight thyself also in the Lord. In the Lord. And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. The word delight in the Hebrew means Stay like this, make thyself pliable in the hands of the Lord. Live or spend in enjoyment in the Lord. And he shall give thee. A lot of people focus on, the Bible says he'll give the desires of your heart, bless God. God. Step one. Step one. Delight thyself. You know what that means? What he loves. You love. What his appetite is for, you garner appetite for. His purposes, you adopt as your purposes. And then he shall give you desires. Well, bless God. Note though, when you delight yourself in him, your desires start to align with his desires in so much he's just really giving you what he wants you to have because you begin to identify with what he wants for your life. You miss it though. You think, man, God's giving me what I want. No, what happened is you fell so in love with God and delighted yourself so much in God and became so pliable in the hands of God. You have the same feelings, desires, and aspirations that he would want for you, and he'll give you that. That's powerful. That's praying in Jesus' name. For his sake. I believe, Bishop, when James talks about praying amiss, is praying prayers in Jesus' name that isn't Jesus' name. Not his desires. Not his itinerary. Our agenda. Someone say amen. When we do this type, though, when we do this type of thing, we're delighting ourselves in him. It's kind of like a full circle thing. The more you pray to the Lord and you delight yourself in the Lord, the more you're just going to see prayer in this wide screen view. It's going to feed one another. It's going to feed one another. 
You're going to delight yourself even more. And then it's a, and ye shall ask and he shall give. And it's like, man, I'm living my best life. It's because you're not living your life. You're living his for you. John 16, I got to hurry. So that's where, that's where mediation then goes to meditation or speaking. Speaking as you're contemplating prayer. It went from a high priest mediating for you to now you're meditating, you're speaking to the Lord. And this is just, this is just like, and this, this is not spiritual at all. I kind of noticed it really just during service tonight. What changes mediation to meditation is the cross in the middle of meditation. That's just a little. That's just a, eh, you know. Amen. John 16, verse 29. Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Come on, Pastor. The Bible says, his disciples said unto him, folks, I'm gonna, this is almost comical, and you might not catch it, but I'll tell you. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that, he shall, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, if you back up to verse number 25, Jesus had told them, he was telling them, there's going to come a time that I'm going to speak plainly to you about things, and it's not going to be cloaked in parables or, or illustrations or things like that because he all the time spoke to them in parables. And they didn't understand. The disciples had to wait around, and then they would ask, Lord, what did that mean? Just like the parable of the sower in the four different grounds, he explains then after he gives it, what it meant. They didn't pick up on it. So Jesus spoke all kinds of things to them that they didn't understand, and that gives me great comfort when I preach and teach. Now you speak plainly to us. They're like, oh, so right now, this is this such a disciple moment. So right now you're speaking plain to us. We believe that you know all things. Side note. He just told them what they were going to ask without them asking. We believe you know all things. No one needs to ask, ask you anything because you already know what we're going to ask. And as a result of that, we believe you come from God. Listen. At this moment, the best I can describe it is the disciples are like a bunch of kids that led on as though they know what you're talking about when they really don't know. You ever had someone do that? You ask them a question, hey, do you know such and They're like, yeah, yeah, you ever been over? Yeah, yeah, and they're lying straight through their teeth. They just don't want you to think that they don't know. We do it. The disciples do it. Oh, so, yeah, you're speaking plainly to us now. We believe, blah, blah, blah. And God's, Christ is like, do you now believe? Little, just a little. The Lord's being just a little hungry there. Oh, do, you, do you really now believe? <laughs> Look, in verse 23, again, he told them, he said, in that day, you shall ask me nothing. Now, no, it's not that they will not ask 
for the reason because he knows in his earthly ministry already what they'll ask before they mention it. They will not ask him because he won't be there in the flesh. And the Spirit, hopefully if they'll just get to Pentecost, the Spirit that they'll receive will be in them and it will lead and guide them into all truth. Jesus says, do you believe? I mean, do you believe that I came from God and do you believe that I'm going to God? I hear you saying, yeah, we believe that you came to God, but do you believe that I'm going to God? Because now they're claiming, yeah, we believe. Jesus, though, just a little skeptical of their claim. He knew. Because he just knows, right? He knew that they still didn't quite understand all the events that were soon to unfold in their lives. And so he even reminds them and tells them before it ever happens. He said, there's coming a day. It's not far off. It's going to happen from the garden outward. They're going to come and grab me and the one that you pledge your allegiance to and we're going to die with you and we're never leaving your side. You're all going to tuck your tail between your leg and you're going to scatter and you're going to leave. And they did. After all they, Judas came and those with their staves and everything, when they come and got the Lord, the Bible says, well, a lot of times we look at, you know, well, there's Judas, he betrayed the Lord. And there's Peter, he denied the Lord. <laughs> the Bible says they all fled. They all, well, Thomas, he said, they all fled. They all fled. Yeah. And the Bible says there's, there's the Lord as far as with men, he's left alone. It amazes me, Bishop, the irony of Scripture, that the very one they left alone was the one that told them, I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake You'll stand with me on landing the plane. Just nosedive it. No, gentle, gentle. Jesus tells them in verse 33. He's kind of wrapping everything up. Next week we're going to get into the, we're talking about him being the mediator. We're going to talk about his high priestly prayer, some of his last mediation of high priests, his high priestly prayer in chapter number 17, praying for himself, his disciples, and, and, and unbelievers around or believers as well. He says in verse 33, as he's wrapping this up, he said, these things have I spoken to you. We're stretching all the way back to, to where he started talking, all right? Now we're well over 60 verses ago. So all these things that I've told you, what has he talked about? He's talked about him being the way, the truth, and the life. He's talked to them about being the comforter, the spirit of truth, the Holy Ghost. He's talked to them about being the vine and them the branches. He's talked about them being hated by the world and their sorrow that would be eclipsed by the joy. All these things, etc. Said He said, all these things I've told you and I've spoken to you is so that you would have peace. Because in the world, you have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I've said all these things so that you'd have peace. Tying back to chapter number 15. If you abide in me and I abide in you. If you abide in me, I'm the prince of peace. If you abide in me, though your feet are touching the soil of the earth. You got to get this. This is a, a poor representation, okay. Here is, here is Christ in the world. Here is you in the world. In the world, you got tribulation. But if you abide in him, you have peace in him in the world. If you abide in him, you abide in the one that overcame and conquered the tribulation of the world. If you abide in 
Someone say hallelujah. So everything that he did opened, I mean, it kicked the door off the hinges for my access of prayer in his name. I'm so glad, listen, I'm so glad I, I, don't, I don't have to find an earthly Jesus to go to. I don't have to pray to Mary. I don't have to have an earthly priest to consult. Everybody that did that or does that, they have missed the scripture where he's broken down the middle wall. Even now those who were afar off are made nigh by the blood, the Bible says, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all can boldly go. He's given me a springboard where I can meditate and pray without any mediation. It's that spirit of Christ that wells inside of me if I've been filled with his spirit. Hallelujah. And there's times, the Bible says, when we know not what we ought to pray, even that spirit, amen, does some things and begin, you begin to pray in the spirit and you have communication and you're praying stuff. I guarantee you in those moments in Jesus' name, for his sake, for his purpose, for his plan. Let's bow our heads here tonight. Father, I love you, Jesus, this evening. God, I'm so thankful, Lord, and to you. I pray, oh, Lord, teach me. Teach me, Lord, to pray. Teach me, Lord, to delight myself in you. To, Lord, allow myself to be pliable within your hands. And, Lord, to live and spend my enjoyment, Lord, in the things concerning you, God. And we shall have, Lord, what we ask for, God. We shall have, Lord, what we ask because we all have asked according to your will, according to your purpose and plan. That truly will be our prayer in Jesus' name as representatives here upon the earth. I pray, oh God, today, Lord, we are on the back side of the sorrow turning into joy we are on the back side of there being a high priest as a mediator God we live Lord in the shadow Lord Jesus of the joy and the peace and the contentment and the open relationship with the heavens God as long as we have that spirit Lord dwelling inside of us I don't want Lord Jesus to become calloused and indifferent God to the spirit that I have Lord that is a direct line of access to the heavenlies Lord in my life or the life of the church help me lord to live the way that you want me to live lord jesus god in tandem lord with your will and your spirit and we will not fail to thank you for it in the name of jesus christ that i pray and the church say amen amen, amen in jesus name hallelujah thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.